yes, there's going to be hardship, but we forget that life is going to have hard spots. Yeah. Our goal is not pleasure. If we pursue happiness, we're never going to get there. I think yeah. purpose is a much greater goal, and reaching purpose brings happiness. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Prodigal Theology Podcast. This is the second part of the series where I interviewed my parents. My dad is a pastor, and so I wanted to go behind the curtain a little bit, see what it was like being a pastor and his different pastoral roles throughout his years and different churches that he's worked at, a little taste of how it is to have kids and be a pastor as well. So hope you like this interview. If you have any ideas for another interview, again, I would love to do another one of these later on and just kind of get some other questions out there. What areas should we press into or what things did we not touch at all? So let me know. Send me a message, DM, email, comment, whatever. Uh, just reach out to me. But yeah, hope you like the episode and enjoy. All right. Welcome back. And we have the second part, I guess, of our first two-part series. Yesterday, I interviewed my mom. Today, I've got my dad here. We're in the same office if you're watching the video feed or the library. And yeah, so I wanted to talk to my dad, Glenn Warren, about what it's like to be a pastor and the journey of ministry. And we're just going to see where the conversation goes. There's a lot we could talk about, but we got an Amber Alert coming through. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, the first question about what's it like to be a pastor, and I would tell you that uh, I view my calling perhaps a little different than uh, other folks, is that... uh, God didn't call me to a position. He called me to a ministry. He called me to be a servant of the church. And I realized that early on that um, I am called to make what to meet whatever need the church has to help the church do and be who Jesus wants it to be. And so my calling has never changed, but yet my position has changed several times. And okay. so I don't look at it being a, a, oh, wow, I've made it to this or that. No, my calling has been consistent to be a servant of the church, to help the bride of Christ be beautiful. And uh, so I, I started working with youth and then and changed and the needs was different uh later on came uh like i said associate pastor different areas but it's always been the same and here now as a pastor uh it isn't okay i feel like now i'm something different i'm still the same thing um a servant of the church okay nice yeah i think You've mentioned before of just that the importance of being called into ministry, and there's some people I feel like who go after it more as a vocation. Mm-hmm. And with your experience, I mean, have you mm-hmm. seen people flame out? I mean, I heard some crazy statistic about the people in seminary and like how many of them are actually what you would consider to be like a full blown believing Christian and walking out their faith is. Nowhere near 100%. I feel like it wasn't even at 70%, which was Mm. crazy to me. But Mm. just, I don't know, have you seen Mm. the difference in people who 
chose the just any position in ministry as a more of a vocation versus a true calling? Um, yes. Um, and one of the things I would say is that people misunderstand, uh, and it's not their fault. They feel like, oh, how can I serve Christ? He wants me, I want to give my life fully to him. And so often they think, well, that means I've got to do that full time. And, and I would say, well, we're called to be a full-time Christian. The issue is, does my livelihood come from that work? Or is my full-time service separate from how I make a living? Uh, and for me, um, I knew that I was going to need to work in the church. I look at it as not because there's anything better about me, but like I'm more that troubled kid that the teacher has to keep close to keep under control. And that uh, I did not uh, excel at marketplace ministry. Being working at a position and then trying to live a Christian life in that position of using ministry was challenging for me, not in, okay, well, I want to do this and what I do, but how do I view it in my head? How do I interact with someone? When I'm on the clock for someone else, it would make me feel, okay, I, don't, I can't share my faith as freely because I'm committed to pay for them to pay me to do a certain job. Um, and um, I'm envious of people often say, man, you've got a marketplace ministry. You can do your job and yet your ministry as well. And so I think it's how God has wired us in that. The other issue and what you said about going to seminary is some people feel like this is how I've got to please him, but yet it it is different. Uh, when I thought and was wrestling with the issue was, has God called me into ministry? The pastor that I had then uh, was my childhood pastor all my life, Mr. Jack Hamilton. And he's first thing he did was try to talk me out of it. Did his very best. Now look, make sure this is the only thing you can do. That there's nothing else in this world that you could do that you felt like you could do well and make a living by. He said, make sure that you can't do anything else. And um, it was a little discouraging to hear, but as he explained why, he says, because when you're called to the ministry, there's going to be those days you want to walk away. Mm. There's going to be days when this gets so hard and those days when it's like, what am I doing here? Am I making anything going on? And the answer needs to be, well, Lord, this is what you've called me to and I can't do anything else. So therefore, I'm going to keep doing it. And um, I have shared that with every single person that has said they felt called to ministry and, and told them, I said, always check, is there something else? Because um, it's not an easy task. Yeah. And, and we forget that um, none of us are qualified to serve. There's never a point in the Bible when we see anybody walk up to God and say, here's my resume. Yeah. You know, I think I would be pretty good at being a prophet. You know, <laughs> you know, I'm pretty good at raising axe heads from the water. You know, Ooh. no, God goes over and says, hey, I've called you 
and always it's like, who me? Who me? Yeah. And that so we're not qualified in our skills to do ministry. In fact, when I start feeling qualified is when I mess up. Mm, that's a good point. And that now that um, after being in ministry for almost 35 years in a supporting role, not as lead pastor, which is what I loved also, was being there to help add a shape and structure to a pastor's leadership and vision. Uh, now in that role, uh, I have found um, after 35 years how humbling it is. and To be in the lead pastor role? Yes, yeah. And to... I'm finding that I am still a student, if not more so than ever, and uh, that I am thankful that I didn't become a lead pastor 20 years ago. Mm. I would not have been ready for it. I thought I knew too much then. <laughs> and um, So what? give an example then kind of what you mean by humbling. Oh, my. Hmm. <laughs> Whew. Um, that being able to have a message week after week. Mm. Uh, I'm a much better one at the, pro, not program, or, you know, okay, I've got this task. I know how to fit, uh, get this across, uh, having an event, getting all the people and the doing stuff. It's kind of like painting, you know, you got to go in and say, okay, now I can put the paint on the wall. But first, that architect design, well, what are we going to do? What color? Where are we going to put this here? And where are we going to put that? I guess that's more of how uh, seeing a sermon. Wow. Okay, Lord. And that it can't be all me. How can I hear the voice of God again each week? Um, and that it is a draining uh, more physically than I realized as well. Um what aspects are draining just the uh, everyday repetition of next week I've got to have another sermon. There's no having way. a voice. Uh, I'm more susceptible to germs um, uh-huh. in pastoring, and that um, my voice gets weak uh, more. And so just the physical demand of it is more than I realized. Hmm. And... Um, and just doing a 30-minute message. Yeah. yeah. And so you guys don't have an associate pastor here, right? No. Yeah, that's the other challenge. And yeah. so how does... I mean, do you just come up with the sermons? Do you have any input from... I'm assuming you have some elders in the church? Um, not here. And No elders? Uh, no elders, yeah, we're deacons. Okay. And um, so um, having a team is a different approach that I would love to be at. And um, the Baptists have become your, more of the, the pastor, or the deacons, and uh, that separation. And so it's all on me. Um, and to solve that, I've realized the what... 
having a plan is much better. Um, one of the illustrations that I heard years ago that uh, I have used often is that, you know, how does where does inspiration come from? And the old story is that there was a pastor who um, was preaching, and the chairman of deacons came in one day and said, how do you decide what to preach? Because I have a very simple method. I read the Bible all week and pray, ask God to guide me. And then on Sunday morning, I get dressed, I get up, and I say, okay, Lord, between now and the time I get to church, give me what I need to say. And um, so the next week, the chairman of deacons came back and said, I shared with the other deacons and what your method was, and we had a vote and decided that you need to move further away. <laughs> and and that preparation is required, yeah, uh, and structure, uh, and uh, so um, I found the easiest way to do that is expository preaching, where okay, I've got a topic that I'm or a book that I'm going through, and it's not topic driven as much covering the topics within those section, and um, so. Right now, I'm in Mark, and I've been there for a year and a half. Oh, wow. And um, it has been... Mark is not a very long book. 16 chapters. Wow. So where are you at in the book? uh, Chapter... We just finished chapter 10. Wow. So is it just verse by verse? Uh, What's called pericopes, those little sections, you know, uh, that little event. Mm-hmm. For the most part, and that it it's gone fast, and so Mark chapter eleven is the when Jesus goes into Jerusalem. So basically, it's the beginning of the last week of his earthly life. Okay, and so there's five or six more chapters, and um, that road to that is where we. And so we've paused for Christmas. And then on January 1, we'll pick back up. And so I've got a challenge that from January 1 till March the 31st, which is Easter Sunday, I've got to go through the next six chapters. So, okay. So. Now, will you... I can't remember how much is after the resurrection in Mark, but will you try to push Easter to... Resurrection or just finish the whole book? Chapter 16 includes the resurrection and that. And then there's a little bit more, but we'll end right there as he's uh, risen and covering that section. Nice. So So, I just want to go back to the lack of elders. I'm assuming that means your deacons have a much bigger role in the leadership of the church. How does that play out compared to churches that do have elders? Because mm. at Piney Grove, were there elders? No. No. Okay. Interesting. I, think I guess I saw so many people who maybe were older deacons that I just assumed there were elders. Yes. And, you know, a title doesn't mean automatically has the heart. Right. So we had deacons there that could have been an elder in another place. Also, being on a multiple staff gave that sense of eldership. And um, and so 
um, you know, there were four of us that were full-time okay. ministers. And, um, and having that joint team, um, and then we would bring the chairman of deacons in on that as well and, and others. And with that said, though, without that, what I've tried to do is always have a sense of accountability. Um, that I, it's we always need checks and balances. Yeah. And, and who do I confide in? And um, I've got multiple people that I do that with, and with the the deacon body itself. Um, I try to say, okay, guys, here's where I feel like I'm. We need to go, and not sermon wise, but in other changes. Right. But you you've raised a very good point that. Um, I find I'm learning how to be better at, and that is building leadership, which is different than leading. It's building it among the people in on your team. Yes, and uh, Greg Olden has this definition that uh, we're doing a study on Wednesday on leadership. That really I love. Leadership is the art of multiplying influence. The art of multiplying influence. So leadership is about transferring character rather than a set of instructions. Hmm. And most of us can be good to say, hey, do this, move this, pick up that. But leadership is really transferring character so that they have the heart to lead. And um, it is interesting to note that historians agree, even Time Magazine, the greatest leader ever was Jesus Christ. Hmm. What did they say makes him the greatest leader? The art of multiplying influence. Okay. That 2,000 years, one man spoke to 11 and and that which then spread the gospel and the structure of church uh, and the influence that there isn't anyone who is where their teaching and their influence is more known than Jesus. Yeah. Um, all the other leaders have had a very short impact. Okay. You know, uh, even. Um, you know, the Caesars, Napoleon, um, Hitler, all of them, you know, were impactful in their generation. Yeah. But not, and, and Jesus was the most humble of them all. Mm. Good point. Yeah, I guess people still read some of the Caesars' work, but they don't practice the ideology it's like right. oh yeah here's a person kind of like solomon you're like oh yeah here's wisdom that came from solomon that we can read and appreciate but we're not necessarily carrying on that same i don't know the word for it but basically yeah yeah Inter well and i kind of want to just circle back to the leadership because i i feel like i've seen more and more that need for the accountability, especially in church, and then how that's structured. So it's interesting. So is it just Southern Baptists in general? They just don't have elders in their 
churches? Is that the standard? Is it well the um, Southern Baptists are like English, lit, you know, the grammar. There's an exception to every rule. Southern yeah. Baptists are independent churches uh, who cooperate together. Okay. So there is such diversity throughout them. Uh, the culture in this area that I'm in and of the churches that were formed around this time um, did not use an eldership type process and the title. Often those the deacons did serve in those ways. Um, though it, here in this county, there are multiple ones that do have elders, and I would be moving towards that probably as well because we've discovered that issue of, well, how do we develop leaders? Yeah. And the part that um, I overlooked and I think many overlook is that leaders can only come from disciples. Disciples meaning what? Someone who is a student watching to learn character, not how to do stuff. Okay. And so we're really poor in being effective disciples. And, you know, as I was thinking about this, that we all are a disciple of someone. Meaning Quite. we're all watching someone else and gleaning yeah. from that influence. Yeah. The bad news is a lot of us are only watching ourselves. Mm. And that's how you get your, my truth is mm -hmm. the truth. Yeah. And the fact that when I, what we're doing by, if I'm a disciple of myself, well, then I'm just defending who I am and not allowing myself to grow, Ex coming up with excuses for this is who I am. And being a disciple is about growth. Yeah. It is about being transformed. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's something that's definitely needed in people who are going to be leading your church is, like you said, having that mentorship opportunity of saying, okay, like we're going to be raising up people who we can have faith in, and then also just the power of collective thought mm -hmm. that has been refined to be, you know, seeking the health of the group rather than the individual. Mm -hmm. And just, like you said, be, the comfortability of that group to be able to uh, allow vulnerability to be held accountable versus some of these places where people are like, well, you know, whether they're the moral failure that happens a lot, but they say, oh yeah, like if I came forward with this to my leadership team, whatever that is, then you would just be removed. And it's like, oh, well, there you go. Like, mm -hmm. it's like there's no, which sometimes maybe that's it, but it's like sometimes people just need to be able to say that early on before it becomes this huge deal. And it's mm -hmm. like, hey, I'm struggling with this. And then instead of condemnation, they're like, okay, let's walk you through this mm -hmm. so that we can guide you along the way rather than just being like, oh, yeah, sorry, we'll just move on to the next person. Yes. Interesting point that uh, it goes back to what I uh, just recently covered in Mark. And as we were going through uh, chapter 10 
and Jesus has been, after chapter 8, Jesus really challenges his disciples and turns from the crowd as much as getting them to say, who are you? Are you my disciple? In chapter 8, Jesus asked them, okay, well, who am I? And Mark and Peter says, you're the Christ. Mm-hmm. And right after that, Jesus says two things. First, he says, guess what? And I'm going to die. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be, um, you know, they're going to say lies against me, and they're going to kill me, and I'm going to rise again. And the disciples didn't like that. They challenged that. And Jesus rebukes them for that. But number two, Jesus goes on and says to them, okay, guys, and he says to everyone, if anyone wants to follow me, he's got to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What a radical type of leadership. Now, he keeps saying this. In the next three chapters, he says it three times. And after the third time, of saying it to the disciples again, you got to deny yourself, you got to take up your cross, you got to follow me. This comes right after the rich young ruler story. And when Jesus looked at him and said, Hey, man, I, you know, looked at him and he loved him and said, Here, give up all you have and follow me. And the guy goes away sad because he has a lot. Hmm. And so the disciples are confused and they're saying, Wow. Because Jesus says how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And so they said, well, who can do it then? And Jesus says, with man it's impossible, with God it's not. And Peter goes, well, we've given up everything. And Jesus' answer to him was, yes, no one has given up uh, fathers, mothers, sisters and brothers and land for my sake, that they're not received a hundredfold over. And he goes through the list again and adds to that, and tribulation, you're going to suffer. Hmm. But interestingly, what 80% on that list is relationships. To Jesus, the greatest treasure is relationships. Not silver or gold, not position, not power, and yet power and money and possessions are the things that we value. Now back to the other point about sharing something about ourselves and not being ridiculed and and shot down so fast. The third time Jesus says to the disciples, okay, I'm going to, we're on the way to Jerusalem. Guess what? They're going to kill me. They're going to... scourge me and kill me, and then I'm going to rise again. Right after that, the brothers, James and John, say, Jesus, we want you to do something for us. We want Actually, they say, we want you to do whatever we ask. Mm, yeah. And Jesus says, okay, what is it? We want to be on your right hand and on your left. We want positions of leadership. What really surprised me was that the disciples didn't think what they were asking was wrong. Jesus doesn't rebuke them either. Hmm. He goes, do you know what you're asking? Mm -hmm. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? And they think they can. And so the way we read that, they go, my goodness, what nerve. Yeah. You know, you're 
how insensitive can you be? And that we think they're after power. They think that's the way to do it. They're wanting to follow him. Hey, we can follow, and we're going to be good leaders. Jesus doesn't shoot them down. And then when the other disciples hear about it, they get all upset. Yeah. Jesus doesn't say to them, um, guys, they're wrong. Let me see what he says. I can't. He, how did he put it? Um, let's see. He said to them, we're able. And then the disciples uh, get all mad. And Jesus says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles dominate them. And the men of high positions exercise power over them. But it should not be among you. Whoever wants to be great, let him be the least. So Jesus doesn't shoot them down. Hmm. He just says, guys, you're focusing on the wrong thing. It's not leading, but serving. Mm. Okay. And so I agree with you. In the church, we've got to realize that none of us have arrived and and help guide people to the truth rather than shoot them down so fast. Yeah. And then guiding people to the truth, meaning everybody, just kind of not just your leaders, but your parishioners, your average person. Mm-hmm. And meeting them where they are on that journey. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like that. I do have a question that's slightly off topic, but okay. in what you said, because Jesus mentions take up your cross, and I've always wondered, I've never really heard anybody talk about it, because at that time, like now you hear it, and you're like, okay, yeah, like the cross that every, every Christian has. But then it was seen as a curse, and do you think it's more just foreshadowing of he's kind of using their culture to demonstrate a point, but then also foreshadowing like the crucifixion to be applied later? Or why does he say like, take up your cross and follow me? Because at that time, that's, you know, mm-hmm. they kind of believe that kind of cut you off from the afterlife in heaven, right? Like my understanding is like if you were, it was, you were cursed if you were on a tree, like to be hung up on a tree, it's like the curse. And so like, you know, that was why it was a big deal. That's why they wanted to take him down from the cross quickly. That's uh, an area of study that I haven't gone to on that part. Uh, But yet as we went through that and looking at the, everyone knew what it meant to walk through the city with a cross. You've been condemned of a crime. You know, you're... And so that point of dying to self, and Jesus, this is the road I'm going to walk. People are going to ridicule me. They're going to make fun of me Mm -hmm. and abuse me. And yet, he says, are you willing to walk that road? Um, And what's... For most of us, one of the hardest things to do is to um, get egg in our face, so to speak. Yeah. You know, to look him, to be embarrassed. Um, I hope, 
you know, it's, it's tough being sitting here as dad as well, <laughs> is that one of the things I try not to ever say to you or Megan is that you embarrassed me. Mm. And why is that? Because I wanted you to behave not to know that your behavior wasn't, I wasn't more concerned about myself than you. Uh, okay. That, you know, you, you mess up. No, it's not about, did you embarrass me? Wow. Helping you to see that the actions were for yourself. Mm. Um, and if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it makes total sense. I think that's a thing I never really thought about, so... Well, yeah. well, good. Hopefully, then that you, I didn't do the negative because yeah, no, no. I, I just like the way that you approach it of saying like, yeah, like this is, yeah, the the avoidance of the selfish mentality of like, why did you do this? You've embarrassed me because there is, you know, there's the other side of it where there you are a representation of your parents, and then that's applied mm-hmm. to us as Christians as. Mm-hmm why we're supposed to act a certain way is because we represent somebody. We are representatives. But the idea of, from a parental standpoint, saying, no, like, I want to help you not because of how it affects me, but because of how it affects you. Mm -hmm. I think that's interesting. And the responsibility, that life comes with responsibility. And um, so... Yeah. Well, now we got to switch topics. We've... Oh, that was one other thing that I did want to ask. So you came from Piney Grove where you were there 27 years. And I was just curious. We've kind of touched on like the leadership side of it. But coming to a new church, how does that kind of play out? And just I was wondering how it felt to trust a new body of Mm. the deacons to say like, okay, like I don't know any of you guys. And so like how do you weigh someone's input? Mm-hmm. where you're saying, like, you're coming, you're bringing, you know, typically when there's a new pastor coming in, it's a lot of times there is the welcoming of a fresh perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that is on both sides. You're getting the church's perspective, but how does that play out where here maybe you have a little bit more decision power where you can say, like, ah really think you guys should just trust me on this or learning to trust the wisdom of your leaders in the church that you're walking into. I and mean, mm-hmm. who knows, maybe you walked into this church and there was just zero leadership, but I don't know. I don't want to speak that. <laughs> so uh, good question. Um, and I will say that um, in leaving where I was at for 27 years, the the question came to be was still related to the beginning. All right, God, you've called me here, and am I able to do what you called me to do? And and I wanted the leaving part to be when it came time. I realized is this going to be what's best for Piney Grove as well as for me? Is that what's going to be best? And felt like it was the time to step away. And um, and so that was the driving force. Then the other thing was I wasn't leaving 
I was following. Mm. And I said, okay, God, I'm fine here, but if you want to lead me elsewhere, open the door. And so I was doing exactly that. It's like, oh, wow. It became obvious that God was leading me here. And so the attitude of, okay, can I trust these folks without ever meeting them? The answer was yes, because I'm not, it's not them I'm trusting. Yeah. It's God. And while well, he's leading this way, so it's going to work. It's been, as it would be anywhere, there's been those challenging times since, okay, Lord, let me trust you. And, and asking the people uh, to trust me as uh, I lead. And one of the things that uh, I was fortunate enough to do is that when we were coming in, the, um, it was at Christmas, and I knew I needed to, um, I used, a, you know, the pattern, what you preach on at Christmas. We started with Zacharias, John the Baptist. And as I saw the leave, you know, a priest, and when he didn't trust God, what happened? Couldn't speak. Couldn't speak. Took his livelihood away from him. Mm. Took what he did every day. And and as I was coming into a new place, I went, wow, Lord, you're, this is about me. I need to keep my mouth shut. I need to listen to the people more than they need to hear me for the first nine months. Okay. I'm not going to try to lead in a new direction. I need to listen to them and make sure I'm hearing who they are. And sometimes leaders get the other way around and think, hey, you just got to listen to me. Yeah. Yeah, but you have to build that trust and that, I would say, more of a display of character to mm -hmm. say that you are someone who should be trusted. Mm -hmm. But then, yeah, like getting to know the people you're mm -hmm. in charge of shepherding now. Yes, and to hear their strengths and and their fears and the journey they've been on. Because fears of what? The church could be or what? Just fears the, of... Their whole livelihood of fears, you know, the the whole span of those things that we um, struggle with, the, their history. Um, there was a church here before me, there'll be a church here after me. And, uh, and I have to remember that. I needed to hear who has this church been mm -hmm. so that we can see who are we now and where are we going. Yeah. Yeah, because this church is... About 200 years old? Almost. Yeah. I think it was 198 now. Getting close. Big celebration. Big, big mm -hmm. Southern celebration. That's one thing that the churches in the South do right is food. <laughs> yeah. Can't get that in Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. Big pots of stew. Covered dish. Mm. Meals. Yes. That's the yeah. true fruit of the spirit right there is... Yes. When Food. COVID hit, one of the uh, young adults, he says, oh, the thing I'm going to miss the most is covered dish meals. <laughs> he, he couldn't wait till we could go back to having, you know, Aunt Betsy's pie. Oh. Those Bless it. That's yes. man after my own heart right there. Yeah. I always tell people, food is my love language. Mm -hmm. Don't. 
Don't worry about anything else but food. Um, transitioning again, I think, um, how would you say your, I don't want to say growth, but your timeline through ministry, starting mm. out in youth ministry, then moving on, more work with children and the associate pastor and then now lead pastor. How would you say that shaped the way that you view ministry versus skipping mm. the youth group side versus, you know, going straight into a more pastoral teaching role? Uh, well, one of the things that uh, I found in most of the time, I still had to have a conscious mindset from the babies to the grave. And the senior adult, um, and, and was really in the education side of it, was responsible for all ages. Okay. And and it, I think that's helped me keep that in mind as a pastor to remember that uh, I'm not just preaching to a, an adult group. It's both the young, younger, and children, and, and senior adults, and... I try to consciously add a statement that will apply directly to each age almost in every message. That's my goal. Okay. Is to and often we'll put a question mark that will or put a question in my message that will be direct Hey kids. Yeah. What about this? And um and I try to make sure that my illustrations aren't just from my era. Mm-hmm. Now on that journey part of of all the years looking back, the thing that I regret the most is I never developed the discipline of journaling mm-hmm. and of keeping track of the day-to-day events and the reflecting back on a month and being able to have those to fall back on. For so many years... It was very clear in my mind. Oh, I could remember. I could remember the details and could go back there. But as time has gone on, um, there's so many valuable lessons that I have forgotten. And if I had wrote those down. And so I'm in the process now realizing that it's not too late. Let's go ahead and try to get that habit going of journaling. So that um, because I'm still a disciple as well. I've got to be growing. Yeah. So yeah. then journaling, just writing down, well, like every day. I mean, how would you, how are you going about not just writing it down, but categorizing? Because, I mean, you can write stuff down and then, you know, we're in a room full of books and you got to be able to find it. And so I do think there is power, like you said, of writing it down because it helps commit it to a deeper level of memory. But what are you doing? To help, like, are you just writing down, like, dear diary, <laughs> or yeah. or what? You know, like, how are you writing down the lessons so that you can keep up with yeah. them later? Well, I'm I'm still in the process of developing a good plan, and because of that thing, I would start and do a notebook, and then where where do they go? And uh, so I have uh, basically an electronic PDF of a calendar that's both daily events and then a weekly summary page and uh, I've got that 
in on my tablet, which I can also access on my phone, and uh, so and I can write on it in pencil or I can type in it. Okay. And so, okay, boom. Here's this. What's happened today, and um, and and trying to improve that. So it will always be. I won't lose it as long as I've got an electronic device. Yeah. Well, yeah. The idea of it being electronic, I think, opens up a lot more opportunity for the quick finding of things. You know, mm-hmm. like whether you just did a basic where. You know, you could even commit it to chat GPT and just say, give me, you know, copy in your journal entry, dump it in and say, give me 12 keywords that are from this. And then you just make a little keyword section and then you can look up mm-hmm. covered dish and then it'll come up. Yep. Yep. And that's the, the same way. And I'm doing a much better job of my sermons before I would preach from uh, just a very brief outline and and yet then when I would go back and look at those outlines I couldn't recall what was there and so um, I now for the most part write out a manuscript type yeah I saw that the other day I saw you you mentioned it and then you also had written out a lot I was like wow do you write it out line by line or is it but then do you read it line by line? I mean, or do you just say, okay, I wrote this out, and then now I'm just moving through the points? Both. Okay. And so, you know, if you – could you tell, um, you know, Sunday? So I, there was points when I had to read, and, and that's the nice thing. I know at any point I can – okay, here's where it is, and this is what I want to make sure I say. Okay, yeah. And that I've, I've worked on how I say it. I didn't feel like you were just up there reading, you know, okay. the old – Sixth grade presentation. I would like to talk about how to. That's right. Well, I, I don't ever use that format. But the nice thing is that my program, you see, like I can pull my sermon up right here on this phone. Oh, nice. And so by them being in that, so the history of all of them are there. And then they become searchable. Oh, And, nice. and so it is. So you can in find a f- the words and say, oh, where did I preach about Mark 9? Yes. Over the years. Yep. That is nice. Yeah, technology. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. And and the developing the sermon is that in the program, which is Logos. Yeah. And uh, that in 2001 or two, as I decided that, how do I build a library that's usable? And they came out with a program. And I went to, uh, found Logos, electronic books and so i've been building my library ever since and like a whole library of books on that software what do you mean oh yes yeah i'm up to three thousand books in my library and so like you can check books out on the logos software well they're in my program yes uh i can open it up now and that All the books in there, I can pop it open, and in fact, once it opens, all right. So, see, there is a book, and I'll swipe. Okay. And so, and so I, like, what is that's maybe like a commentary or something like that. Like, there's commentaries. There's regular books in there. There's uh, 
biographies, there's dictionaries, uh, Bible versions, and and so that and if I make an and for my sermons, every sermon has a note folder. Okay, has well has a notebook, and as I highlight different sections of a book in my study and make notes, they're all attached to each sermon. So and then you can cross-reference things. Yeah, so I can, because I study all week long in a variety of ways, and then I come back until I have an electronic notebook. Okay, wow, what did I see? Yeah. What, and I can, a no, an idea comes to my head, and I can write it down and then go back through them. Okay. So wow. it's going to be there for somebody because the, it, it, you know, I own those books, even though it was a digital copy, and I've been saying, wow, well, who, who will I leave these to? Yeah. Here's your inheritance. Yeah. 84,000 pages of sermon <laughs> notes. Could be good, though. Yeah. Um, random question that is kind of back to the youth. This could be, this could go anyway, but I'm, I, I just, I want to ask it anyways. <laughs> Having worked with children and youth ministry for so long, and if you don't want to answer this, that's fine. What have you gleaned from observing a child's behavior by, let's say, the character of their parents? Can you tell mm. the difference? Can you say, you know, because my uh, sister, Megan, they were talking about how they went to go trade in a car and the salesperson asked their son, oh, what do you think about this? And he mentioned, oh, we've had so many problems with this van. And he's like, yep, that was a pro move right there. He's like, <laughs> going after the kids. No filter. But then as, you know, can you see the difference mm. in ministry? You can say, oh, okay. And maybe it doesn't matter, but I was just curious, you know. You can see behind the curtain of, oh, yes. maybe we do need to worry about those people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that um, it it is kind of one of those things, wow, uh, so much of the child's personality is a reflection of the parents, and it happens from the very get-go. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, from birth, at what do we communicate non-verbally? Yeah, the observance of your actions. And yes, and um, and trying to help parents recognize that influence. That, as I said, that leadership is the transference of influence, transference of their character. Um, not the list of demands. Yeah. Well, and then kind of the transition from that question is when, how does one go about in a healthy way mm. pointing out areas where you see someone lacking in let's just call it like a Christian character, you know, like there's always like a balance of, oh, new Christians are going to be struggling with different things, but like, okay, like you, you're 
at this point, like you're a 20 year Christian going to this church. And then is there a difference from being in a pastoral role, feeling like you maybe sometimes have to be careful of calling people out of saying like, Hey, can we talk about this? And it kind of goes back to what you were talking about earlier of having a smaller community and then people can communicate those things. But there has to be some level of keeping each other accountable. And when it's done very, when it's done not well, it goes really wrong Mm -hmm. of just saying like, Hey, like, why aren't you doing this? Because sometimes, you know, it's a heavy, it's a very heavy question. And I don't know if I'm explaining it all the way, but yes, that, um, it is a very heavy question. It is a challenge of how to help influence, um, in this case, parents without, uh, in a way that's positive. Yeah. Uh, and that one of the easiest ways is to, which happens is going through a text is make use of what Jesus did there so that it doesn't look like we're talking to a, a particular person. Okay. You know, where, okay, I'm not addressing your needs, but yet if that, and letting the Spirit of God address it. Mm-hmm. You're letting them. you're letting the Holy Spirit do the Holy Spirit's right. job. You're just helping right. present. And fully explain, you know, expound what's there. Wow, here's a parenting skill. Jesus uh, had three and two chapters where he's very specifically talked about the importance of children. Mm-hmm. the value of them, and that we've got to learn as a child um, as well and to come to him in that nature. And and so um, helping parents hear those things is important. I think it's a little harder in a smaller uh, community where we know one another, yeah. once again, for that embarrassment issue. Well, and um, and so, which is ironic because that's true on the. It's like in the middle, a smaller community. It's harder because you know each other. But then, the smaller the group gets, the easier it is because you know each other. So there's like that paradox of like, oh, we're kind of a small church, so everybody knows each other. And then there's like the embarrassment. But then also it's like, oh, like. With the three closest friends, we all know each other, mm-hmm. and we can be very open. Mm-hmm. Which is like, you just wish you could transfer that level of comfort to a larger group of people. Yeah, and I think the issue is that um, the churches in this area in the South is because that's the only area I can speak from. What we've messed up in. Um, was moving towards a program mindset rather than a mentoring mindset and recognizing that character is more important than information. Programming meaning like the way that you do church or just... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The program mindset, okay, well, we have a class for this. And that without realizing it, we've communicated just information Mm -hmm. is all you need rather than... The apprenticeship, the discipling is where there's a few of us and we're going to hold one another accountable. 
and that accountability always needs to be in our life. Yeah. We've got to always say, I'm going to listen to the advice of this person and take it serious. And, um, and having someone then that can be respectful enough to maintain confidentiality yeah. and love in the midst of sharing my darkness. Mm-hmm. And uh, so actually in a process mm-hmm. of working towards building more of that intentional uh, discipling um, in, in here as well. Okay. And to kind of stay on that point, do pastors ever just, you know, maybe they should, maybe they shouldn't, do you sometimes change what you're preaching based on like the things your church is going through? You say, oh, we're working through this and we mm. should kind of spend some time, like we're having this issue, we should spend some time here. Is that something pastors do or is it kind of just trust the Holy Spirit to kind of lead you where you should go and confirm or deny that? Well, I can't say for all, but for me, um, what I can say is that um, I don't ignore the current situations and... um, and there's been times we say, okay, well, we've got to make an adjustment. But what I have found even far more amazing, I wish that I could, if I had done a better job of journaling, I could easily pull it up for you. <laughs> but uh, I can say at least a half a dozen times I have said to folks, folks, this passage today hits exactly where we are. And I'm not smart enough to have come up with this on my own. This was as God guided me to where we're going to go. Mm-hmm. And and so he knew, in, in a couple of the cases, it was over six months that it was going to hit on that exact point. Oh, in the planning of in six months, this is what we're going to be preaching on. And then... Yes. And so and that's what I take a, a spreadsheet that has 52 weeks on it and start plugging in the passages, and, and what I did with Mark simply is just, okay, well, here's this one section, here's the section, here's the section, and and do a, a quick run-through. As we get into them, there's times I had to slow down and spread it further, um, but it's been put on paper, and almost always the current passage applies. Well, I, I would say it always does. The current passage applies to our current lifestyle. Or situation, okay. And I try to then acknowledge that there are going to be maybe something. Well, like I'm pausing for Christmas. Yeah, yeah. You kind of gotta get the holidays in. Yes. Yeah. And COVID hit, and COVID changed our plans. Yeah. Yeah. So, but but then it became part of the plan and and opened up many other doors. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so what's kind of working towards the end of, I think, this conversation? What's the hardest thing in this season or in ministry in general? Pick which mm. way you want to go. That What was the thing that you didn't see coming that you've struggled with the most? Mm. Mm. Yeah, just a very easy question there. Well, I'll start with, like, take the holidays. Um, Okay, you know, 
we've gone through and where I was at, I was always involved in the preaching during the holidays. You know, how many different times can we go around the same block? Yeah. And, um, and not just repeat what's been there. And, and so uh, I would say the hardest thing is always reminding myself that I need to walk in the Spirit, not in my own strength. Mm. Though that I've done a lot of things multiple times, I need to always remember I'm doing it again. This is the day the Lord has made. Mm-hmm. Let us rejoice today. Let us go through this today, that this is the first time around. And um, and looking for the Spirit of God to work. Yeah, I think I've always kind of thought about that sometimes, of being in the church for a long time. You're like, all right, we're just going to talk about Christmas again here. And it's like, do people ever get tired of that? But then when you say, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't get tired of it because there is so much there. And be like, if I'm getting jaded to the idea that, there's a virgin birth. There's a God who became man. Like these, these are big issues. Mm-hmm. And when you find yourself getting jaded to it, you're like, oh wait, maybe I need to think back to that. Of oh, here we go again, same old story. Mm-hmm. But there's actually, yeah, okay. So that's the hardest. Oh, um, of dealing with keeping it fresh in the holidays because not just you and. That that's, everybody else may become jaded as well. I would say that's one of those things that's hard is uh, the freshness, uh, making sure that I'm walking not in my own flesh, uh, making sure one of the things is that I got to preach to myself first and not mm-hmm. to others, uh, and how easy it is to reverse that, yeah. and where that my lifestyle doesn't match what I'm preaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember that the. Jesus, the group he challenged the most was the current leadership of the church of that day. Um, yeah. Or the religious body of that day, because the church is entirely different than what the religious structure was of that day. Right, right. But um, how, how self-righteous we all are. Yeah. So the other thing that is uh, a challenge is um, the um, keeping, um, well, what would I say? Um, Maintaining like a relationship with family um, and that my marriage is very important how do I uh, value my wife? How do I value her skills um, and and give her place of importance as well, mm-hmm. um, and and not put the church before her? Yeah, and, and yet also recognizing, as with family with kids, there's times when okay, we're called to here's a need that's greater than ours right now. Mm-hmm. And um, so with a lot you, of sharing in relationships. Yes. That um, I wanted you and Megan to not ever hear me say, oh, I've got to go to work today. Um, but that this is our responsibility. 
and this is where I need to be right now. Um, and, and that it was a valid sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the ministry life is definitely one of sacrifice. Yes. Uh, but I'm not saying it's not worth it, but just like that there is a heavy sacrifice to mm-hmm. being in a position where you have to be there a lot of times emotionally for a mm-hmm. large group of people. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that not doing that can sometimes cause bigger wounds of saying like, oh, I was going through this and nobody from the church even reached out. Mm-hmm. The, you know, what Jesus said has been so true, if I can find it. When he said to them, he says, you know, anyone who has left house and brothers or sisters or mothers for my sake will receive a hundred times over. Uh, and, and how that list of, in other words, relationships and with persecutions. And, you know, yes, there's going to be hardship. But, but we forget that life is going to have hard spots. Yeah. Rewarded with persecution is an interesting pill to swallow, I would say. Yeah. That um, our goal is not pleasure. Mm-hmm. You know, if we pursue happiness, we're never going to get there. I think yeah. purpose is a much greater goal. And and reaching purpose brings happiness. Yeah. In the midst of the blisters. Yeah. Well. So so last question. Yeah. What's it like to be a preacher's kid? Ooh. <laughs> you know, I've had people ask me that before. I always tell people, growing up, I knew two things. No matter what I did, you guys would know about it. (laughs) Because mom was in insurance, you were at the church, it was a small town. Mom would just always say, oh, someone's, or I heard you were at Sheets, which is a gas station, last night. I'm like, how do you know all these things? So I think... I think when it's done right, it's good because you do have that bigger extended family. If you have a church that Mm. is too pressuring or whatever, I don't know the terminology to use, but more overbearing and Mm. oversteps their lines, it could probably be annoying. But when it's done right, you just feel like you just have a bigger family. You mm. say, oh, yeah, okay. Like at Piney Grove, I could go back and people were always excited to see me. And I think sometimes that was harder for me because I am a little bit more shy. And so I'd be like, ah, all these people always want to like come up to me and talk to me. And it's not that I don't like them. I love them. But it's like a lot of times I'm here on vacation and I just want to <laughs> relax, so to speak. And so there's that extension of the pastoral forefront, I would say, where people like, and it's a good thing. Like I I also like that people like when I show up, you Mm -hmm. know, that's a good thing. People are excited to see you. I think sometimes I'm just like overwhelmed by say, Oh man, there's so many people. And you know, I don't always remember, especially here. I mean, I don't, I don't know half the people here, but they know me. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, it was the same towards the end at Piney Grove. There's a lot of newer people who knew me because they had known y'all for so long. And then with social media, people can mm-hmm. see pictures of me. And so they definitely know what I look like. And then they would say, oh, Josh. And I'm like, are you a new person or have I just forgot who you are? Because then I feel bad. I'm like, I don't want to forget that I knew you. And so there's this tightrope balance where you're walking of like, have we really met before mm-hmm. or have we not? Because sometimes it's like, oh, I definitely know who you are. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to see you. Other times I'm like, I recognize you, mm-hmm. but I don't know where from. But I mean, mm-hmm. I think overall it's good. I mean, I think that it's, uh, there's a lot of variables, but my relationship as a PK was really good. So, mm-hmm. you know, ministry opened a lot of doors. Mom mm. touched on it in the last podcast of being able to go to the Gideons mm. and that mm-hmm. worldview that was created at a young age of mm. having friends from all over the world. And just mm. the added benefit is what she pointed out of seeing Christ followers from all over the world who are in a different mm-hmm. mindset from a different place. I think that was really good. You guys might not like how much it instilled in me the wanted to leave and travel the world. No, no, I, <laughs> not me, mom, maybe, but, yeah. uh, uh it, you know, it excited me, uh, you know, as well. And, um, that just as I had read, my goodness, how rich our lives have been in relationships. Yeah. And that if we, uh, realize the world, if we would just recognize the relationship of Christ, the office to us, and with our fellow brothers and sisters, how rich we will be. But too many focus on other things. Yeah. 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 No, it's uh, it's interesting, you know. Like I've had people ask me before. And, I mean, I never really had a negative experience with it. So, well, you know, it's it was good. So, well, great. Yeah, this has been fun. Yeah, well, thanks so much. It was it was good. I'm glad that we had the library here. It was cool. We got good space, and uh, yeah, I have a plane to catch very shortly, so we should probably wrap this up. But thanks for sitting down with me. All right, all right. <laughs>